Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Demand Generation Show. Today we are talking to one of the leading thinkers in the sales development, productivity, and overall sales world, John Barrows. Let's get started. Hello again and welcome to the Demand Generation Show. Today I am totally excited to share with you an interview that frankly I've been wanting to do since we started the podcast. I wanted to make sure that we got into it a little bit and we had built up a following for him. But I got to tell you, John Barrows is a guy that I came across several years ago, actually got introduced to him by a prospect, got on the phone with him, and I'll tell you, we hit it off right away. John has seen it all. We've lived very similar lives in terms of how we got to where we are in the sales and demand generation space. Um, And the really cool thing about John is that today he shares his insights with the leading companies uh, in the sales development world. He trains Salesforce SDRs, Box SDRs. He's at Dreamforce. Uh, He's all over the place. If you're in the sales development world, you've seen him at Rainmaker Conference, his blog is awesome. His insights are great. And, and the great thing about him is while he has achieved a tremendous amount of success, he keeps it real. He still does sales development work. You can put him on the phone right now and he'll be a top producer. Um, so it's really cool to see that as somebody who has gotten into the world of teaching people how to do it to know that he's still really doing it. Uh, the interview that you're about to hear I think is entertaining. We get really into depth. Uh, with some things related to what makes sales development work, uh, the dangers to sales overall, and most importantly, how you as the leader of a mid-market company can take advantage of the current trends to really accelerate your growth. Just a reminder, you can get a copy of the show notes. Go to www.imaginellc.com podcast. You want to look for episode 11. We'll have the show notes there. Uh, You can get more from John Barrows at jbarrows.com. But let's get to what you are all here to listen to. Let's get started with today's interview. Alrighty, joining us from the hot, humid city of Boston, Massachusetts today is John Barrows, one of my favorite guys to talk to when it comes to sales and sales development. John, thanks for joining the podcast today. Get it. You know, I love always talking about sales. So let's get into it. So what are we talking about today? Already. So you have warned the world of sales and salespeople that if they're not careful, they're going to be replaced. I might be oversimplifying this, but they're going to be they're going to be replaced by robots. Tell us a little bit more what you're saying with that statement. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially it. I mean, there's right now. And by the way, this is not my opinion. This is stuff that I'm watching happen. The. um you know, marketing automation is just coming upstream so fast. There's more and more tools out there that are almost pretending like they're sales and getting smarter around it. I mean, if you're not, as an example, for those of you listening to this podcast, if you're not paying attention to what's happening in artificial intelligence right now, you should, because it's going to have such an impact on us that it's going to erase a lot of what we do, right? Because marketing automation they now know where you went on the website, what you did, what your persona is. And so that information they're starting to send to us is actually becoming more and more and more targeted. And 
you know, I use the example of I have an outdoor grill here, outdoor kitchen. I don't know why I live in Boston. I use it like five times a year, but whatever. Um, but I, you know, I needed a grill cover and it was a Vermont casting grill cover. So I go on Vermont, I go on Google, I type in Vermont casting grill cover, takes me to the, you know, Vermont casting site. I buy my grill cover. I'm all happy about it. And now every time I log into Google or, or um, you know, Facebook, you know, what am I seeing? It's not just grill covers because I already got one. And it's just not general grill accessories. It's, it's grill accessories from my exact grill. And then they throw a Patriots logo on it and I want all of it. I'm like, I don't even know that was a thing. I'll, I'll take that. And so that's happening right now. And the B2C game's over with that. The B2B game, it's absolutely creeping up. And then, so that's on the, the downside coming up. Then on the flip side, you have, um, if you follow Challenger Sale or any of that, you know, they talk about by the time somebody comes to us, right, by the time that inbound lead hits us, they're already 60 to 70% of the way through the sales process. So you have marketing coming upstream, you have consumers having more access to information, and you get sales reps sitting in the middle there just getting lazier and lazier and lazier, still blasting out template emails thinking that's working anymore, or making generic cold calls with a generic elevator pitch and playing the numbers game, or asking bant questions, or pressing play on demos. All that stuff is going to get straight up replaced and is being replaced right now. And if sales reps don't pick their head up, they're going to get replaced. And, and the question I always put to sales reps right now, and pretty much anybody in any industry, is you know, ask yourself, what can you do that a computer can't? Because if a computer can do it, you just have to ask yourself, how much longer are they going to spend money or pay me commissions to do this? When I can automate something like Marketo or Eloquor, or you name the marketing automation tool to crank out the saw you downloaded the white paper emails, like why would I pay a rep to do that? And so that's why I think that's why, but I say the average sales rep, I think the average sales rep is going to die a painful death. I think the above average sales rep has a huge opportunity to make a difference and make a boatload of money. Let's talk in a minute about what it means to be the above average sales rep, but let me just challenge you for a moment and, and ask, sure what I'm sure is on the mind of many people. Haven't people been saying that for 10 years? Um, Neil Rackham, before he sold Huthwaite, said, you know, his last book was The End of the Sales Force. Haven't, mm -hmm. haven't people been saying that forever? Is the uh, uh, rumor of my death maybe premature? Yeah, they have. But I think now is a time that is completely different. It's kind of like I was having a conversation with my mom about, you know, my daughter's five years old and I was talking to her about, oh, I'm nervous about this. And she's like, oh, you know, all parents have that. I'm like, yeah, no, hold on a second, ma. You know, I'm 40 years old. And so I'm the, you know, Gen Xer. I'm the last one to grow up without technology. So I still remember when I was my dad's remote control and we didn't have computers, any of that stuff. Today, with the pace of technology, I'm sorry. It's just different. I told my mom, I'm like, yeah, you don't know. Like there's, you didn't have the internet when I was a kid. So I'm sorry. Your challenges, although fundamentally some were the same there, there's a lot of different stuff right now that's out there. And I think it's the same thing with sales. It's yeah. Back 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, the death of the sales rep and all this other stuff. But I think now with technology and how fast things are moving, let's put it this way. And I use the dummy example here of uh, like Let's put, I think our job in sales has changed and, and it's changed from back in the day of, Hey, we had all the information. And so the client either had to come to us or we went to them to, to share with them something new, right. That they didn't know about now that information's out there. So our job is to get people to, I think the way I look at it is my job is to get reps and, and our clients to think, like think about how 
today steady state average whatever is just not acceptable because tomorrow you could wake up and there could be a technology that absolutely replaces not just your job but your industry and i use the dummy example of you know did you think the the taxi industry had any any idea that uber was coming right think airbnb did you think the hotel industry had any idea that uh that you know airbnb was around the corner and they didn't and that stuff popped up overnight and so I think that, yes, there's always going to be this, you know, death of, the, uh, death of sales reps and we're not going to need them. And we'll probably say it again and I'll probably say it again in five years. But I do think that the average as it stands of, you know, sending out template emails, that type of thing, is it has to shift. And, and whether you label it as sales or not, I think, for instance, I think the inbound SDR role prediction here, that inbound SDR role is going to have to elevate. And it's, I think it's going to become a more of a senior level role of somebody who's more of a, a, a consultant or like a, a, you know, a business professional who knows the product really well. Because if you follow the inbound lead generation flow and that somebody is already 60 to 70% of the way through the sales process, do you want to talk to some 22-year-old kid who's right out of school who doesn't know what they're talking about when you make that inbound lead? Or do you want to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about? So maybe you know, sales rep is... If you, if you put it into that context of, well, John, this is always, yeah, okay, I agree with you. But when you talk about how sales, the function of that role and the value we bring, I, I, I would absolutely challenge that that is going to fundamentally change here in the next few years. Yeah, I think the, I'm going to pick up on the whole Uber example that you just gave. And I look at it and I actually get worried from a strategy standpoint and a leadership standpoint because you go into a group of salespeople you're you're on stage and you see you say artificial intelligence. I, I think you would agree with me. Everyone's eyes kind of gloss over and they begin to feel like you're talking about Star Trek or something. Sure. And then and then they say, "Oh well, I've got Siri or or even Alexa." We just, right. so I just got Alexa from from Amazon, yep. and I honestly have no idea what actual useful purpose it, it serves other than hey, it's cool. I can ask it right. what time it is, right? And so yep. I mean, they suck, right? I mean, Siri right. sucks. We've all seen that. Yep. But I think we're, what people are missing is that they suck today, but they're not going to suck in five years. And, and if you look at where that path is going and, and how all that data is coming together, it is going to be a different game. I'll give you a perfect example of how I know for a fact. Uh, you know, IBM Watson, right? You've seen yeah. the commercials, IBM Watson, you've heard about it. They were on Jeopardy four years ago, blew away all those people. So IBM Watson... Uh, I wrote a blog post on um, my predictions for 2016, and I post it in January. I do it every year. And one of the things I talked about was our artificial intelligence going to have an impact on our world, whatever, and sales, and you got to pay attention to it. And all I said in a full-page blog article was, uh, have you been watching those IBM Watson commercials? That thing's getting scary smart. That's all I said. So probably one sentence in, you know, in a bunch of them. And I posted it on LinkedIn, Okay. Literally less than 30 seconds later, I had an in-mail in my inbox from a VP of sales over at IBM Watson. I was like, okay, that's a little coincidental, but I'll roll with this. He said, hey, John, I'd like to talk to you about some of your sales training stuff. You know, could you please coordinate a time to um, meet with me through my secretary, Sarah? And he gave me Sarah's email address, right? And so I, so I screenshotted it, right, because I use Outlook. So I screenshotted that, and I put it into an email to Sarah. I said, hey, Sarah, because I want to show her I'm not some douchey sales rep trying to sneak around saying your VP told me to talk to you. So I was like, hey, Sarah, Kevin reached out to me. You know, uh, he said schedule meeting. Here's the email below. And I used time trade or, you know, calendar sharing tool. 
And I said, just click on that link, pick a time that works, and, and we'll get it on the calendar. She emails me back literally within less than 30 seconds later. John, I'm sorry, I'm not in a position right now to click on links or attachments. Could you please just suggest a few times that might work? And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, where are you that you can't click on a link or an attachment, right? So I just fired back a couple of options. Long story short, it took me three emails back and forth with Sarah to realize that Sarah wasn't an actual human being. Sarah was a fully automated, artificially intelligent assistant. And so I get on the phone with Kevin, and I'm like, Kevin, uh, thanks for reaching out, man. I really appreciate it. Um, i got to ask you something before we get started here. Who's Sarah? And he goes, uh, she's my assistant. I go, is Sarah real? And he goes, it depends on what your definition of real is. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. And, you know, at first I was like, that's awesome. And then I'm like, oh, my God, that's so scary. But it's awesome and scary at the same time. And I usually, and by the way, I got a pretty good filter these days for, you know, marketing, pretending like they're sales. I mean, that's what I do, right? So I try to craft messaging that sticks out from the marketing. So I got a, a good filter. The only reason I recognized that it was, or even thought about it was because it was IBM Watson. If that wasn't IBM Watson, I would have been like, hey, Kevin, how's Sarah doing? You know, let me send her something in the right. mail, whatever. So my point is, is that the technology is there, like driverless cars. Let's talk about that one for two seconds. The technology is already there. It's just our acceptance of the technology, right? Driverless cars, are, they could be here tomorrow. The laws are being writ for it, written for it tomorrow. Elon Musk wrote a big article about his, you know, his, his, his whole strategy just the other day, mapping out exactly how driverless cars are doubling down on it, and we're never going to have to drive a fucking car again, or we're going to be able to make money with our cars. And so when I talk about getting people to think, that's what I'm talking about. And I feel like I, my job is to get sales reps to at least pick their heads up to realize that if they don't pay attention, they're going to get replaced. Just like the taxi driver who spent all their life trying to get a medallion in New York City, spent tons of money on it, and now it's worthless. You know, I don't want to be that taxi driver. Let's put it that way. So, John, I'm a VP of sales. I'm a CEO of a mid-sized business. I've got my sales team. Maybe I've got, a, maybe I've got SDRs. Maybe I've got an old school or old fashioned sales team that's doing the whole thing. I, I don't think it necessarily matters at this point. Yep. What do I have to do to get my sales team to be in a position to get my prospects to think, how do I get them <laughs> to be above average? What does that mean? Yeah. So this is, um, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about social selling here, but hopefully in context, you know, social selling, it's, you know, what it, what is it even? Um, the two sides of it, there's one is listening to the social world for the triggers to make connections to. So I saw you blogged about this. You tweeted about that. You know, we should talk about that because I got something to offer here. That's, you know, that's kind of been there, done that. And trigger-based selling, it's what I train on. Um, there's a ton of tools to do that. But I think the other side, the brand building side, is the more important side of social selling right now and helping us evolve from, from dying. And the way I say that is, is, and this is where social selling kind of flipped for me because, you know, again, I'm 40, so I'm right on the edge of just looking at all this social stuff being like, really, you know, I got to tweet and post and blog, just, I mean, add it to the list of things I needed to be, to, to, to be successful here in sales, right? But where it changed for me, where it flipped for me was when I looked at all these tools and resources and said, you know, I'm going to leverage all this to educate myself first. And then if I come across something that I find interesting, I'm going to put some context around it and share it out there and start to build my brand and move in the direction of becoming that industry thought leader that everybody talks about. 
I'm not going to sit here and pretend like everybody's going to become a thought leader overnight. I think that's a little ridiculous. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, I love what he talks about, you know, you can't be a 22-year-old life coach, okay? You haven't right. even lived yet. And same thing with thought leader. Like, don't tell me you're a thought leader three months into your job at some tech startup that you've never worked at and you don't even know the technology. Don't you dare pretend like you're a thought leader. But if you, which we should be doing, educate yourselves on your industry, on the, the targets that you're going after, on the trends that are happening out there, and you look to educate yourself first, and then if you, like I said, if you come across something that you find intriguing, what you do is you take that information, you put some context around that content about why you think it's interesting or why whatever, and then you share it out there. And what you do is, you know, you, you throw it out there on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, to build your brand at a broader level. But then you take that content and you can share it with clients who might not have been responding to your prospecting emails or your cold calls. And you selectively, very, it's way more about quality than it is about quantity, but you start sending it to them. Hey, have you seen this? Have you thought about that? Like, these are some industry trends. And look, steady state is, is not acceptable anymore. If you're not looking to evolve, you're going to die. And I just want to open up your mind to some of that stuff. That's the transition there for me. Because I look at, and we'll talk about those two demographics that you hit on. I look at the older generation of sales reps who are just awesome, usually, you know, in very general terms here, really good at the relationship sale, right? Like once you get in front of somebody developing that relationship and whatever, but they're not as good at the tools and stuff like that. Well, if you create a morning routine around using these tools to, to educate yourself, like Feedly and Owler and, you know, even Google Alerts at the basic level, whatever, and then you can start to, you know, instead of reading your physical morning paper that is 90% irrelevant to what you care about or what your job is, you start to educate yourself on your territory, your job, all those different things, and then share that information out there. You can start to make that transition because then you just have better conversations in general. Whereas if you're a young SDR, 22 years old, you better start getting into your field. You better start educating yourself from a business perspective, not just on your products and speeds and speeds and all that crap. But, hey, like, what's happening in this industry? Why are we different? Where do we fit? Where are the trends? And you look at it more of a, okay, I'm educating myself here first and then starting to share that out. That's where you can start to potentially get people to think when you share that type of information. And I, the analogy I use is kind of like, you know, the movie Inception, where you kind of yep. you, you, you put that seed in there and you watch it grow. Well, I don't want to go 10, 10 layers deep here or anything, but what I do want to do is instead of cramming down a sale, you're cramming a sale down your throat every time and say, hey, I want to sell you on this. I want to sell you on this. I want to sell you on this. Instead, every once in a while, I'm going to throw something out there that hopefully, based on my thoughtful approach to this, gets you to think about it and then nurture you along the way and so that when you eventually get to the point where you're like, okay, this is something that I, I should be paying attention to, that I'm the one you give a call to. That, that's a great point. Expand on that a little bit. The, the idea that the job is not necessarily make the sale now, but be in that primary position when they're ready to act. Well, yeah. And that's the challenging part of where most sales reps are today. Because most sales reps are in a position where it's 30 day, you know, they're, they're, they're on month to month quotas. They get in and out of territories within a year or something like that. And so the whole long-term picture is, is really hard for them to grasp. 
because it's like, why would I nurture somebody now that might not even close or even, you know, engage for another year or two? And this is also based on kind of some of the conversations we were having before we jumped on this podcast was why the, the sales and marketing alignment need to be adjusted as well. Because there's a lot of work a sales rep might do to eventually get somebody to drive that inbound lead, but that now that sales rep doesn't, you know, get credit for it. So I've always been, from a bigger picture standpoint, I've always been the what goes around comes around, and it's been proven time and time and time again in my career where, you know, I'd walk away from a – I remember my first job I, uh, at Xerox or second job at Xerox. I had a commission check. Like, all I had to do was wait until the end of the year, and I would have got – the client would have signed on the first of the year, and I would have gotten a $30,000 commission check at 22 years old. And that was my that was my base salary. So I would have doubled up my base salary, but I just I wanted to move away from Xerox and start my own company with a couple of friends of mine. And I was like, guys, I just need to just give me a couple, give me a month and wait for that, and then I'll be able to do all this stuff. And they're like, dude, we have to do this now. And so I walked away from a thirty thousand dollar commission check. Now I ultimately sold that company to Staples and got a much bigger check than that. And so I think this idea of nurture. There's the short-term stuff that you got to do. Like, that's why we make the phone calls. That's why we do the, the, the trigger-based selling stuff. I saw you tweeted this. I saw you blogged that. Let's talk about this. And, hey, we're the, you know, we show CIOs in this industry how to do this. I want to talk to you about it. But then there's the longer-term brand building, which is once you have an account, it, so many people just absolutely piss off the people that they're trying to, to get in touch with to the point where even if there is an opportunity later, that person's never going to talk to you about it because they're so annoyed with what your approach was to that, to that point. And so I think if you look at your career, right. And the fact that you're probably going to have a 30 to 40 year career in sales, if you look at it that way, it's easier to look at the long-term brand building, sharing, adding value knowing that it's a, it's a much longer term thing and it's going to build and eventually start to kick into gear. And I just look at my own personal career for that. I mean, I, when I went off on my own with Jay Barrows and I know it's a little different because my company is Jay Barrows and I'm J, and so I'm selling me. So my brand is, is that much more important, but I remember coming out and people were like, Oh, John, give me your, uh, you know, give me your Twitter handle. And, you know, we'll get you 30,000 Twitter followers in like a month. And I'm like, why would I want 30,000 random ass people following me on Twitter? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So what I did is I took a very methodical approach to, and this was right when social selling was really starting to hit. I'm like, I don't even really know what this is or what the value is, but here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm only going to tweet out about stuff that I find interesting. I'm only going to post stuff that I want people will get value out of. And And to me, social selling and brand building is way more about quality than it is about quantity. And so as hard as it is to swallow to a rep to justify doing that, I'm telling you right now, so, so many people, kids, especially the 22, 23, 24-year-olds, are looking at it and saying, well, okay, what's next? What's my next step? I gotta, you know, I'm a year in this position and a year in that position. Right. Like, well, slow down there, Charlie. Like, you're going to peak way too soon if that's your approach. And then you're probably going to get out of sales because you're frustrated that you're not getting that next, 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 next thing. I mean, if you look at it as I'm here for 40 years and I want to be a business professional that happens to be in sales, you can take that longer-term view. Yeah, I think people forget no matter what your plan is at the end of the day on the buy side, they do things for their reasons and they do things in their yeah. time. And if you try to mess with that too much, then you're going to create more problems. You'll actually slow down the whole process, even though you're. you're oh, you can kill the process. And by the way, I've done it. 
I've killed the process before by using that technique that I thought to, to get the guy to close or doing the crappy stuff, like closing somebody at the, you know, offering a discount when I didn't need to, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's just sad. And, and people see right through that, by the way, for, I'm just going to go off on a small tangent here, please. Anybody listening to this podcast, stop using the discount thing to sell because everybody knows the discount doesn't just go away tomorrow for crying out loud. You know, you call at the end of the month and you're like, well, if you're signed today, I'll, I'll knock 10% off. Okay. No problem. Friday comes and goes. And then, right. Like, please, it just, everybody knows. I know that as a buyer, like bullshit, your d- discount goes away. I'll call you up on Monday and get a double discount. Cause I can. I said that, I said that to uh, somebody, it was a month ago. We were looking at a product. He's like, well, you know, if we can get this thing closed by the end of the month, I can give you a 10% discount. I said, okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad to know that now the price is this and we'll talk yeah. about the real discount when I'm ready to make a decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <So>. Thanks, Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I probably wasn't even going to ask for a discount, but because right? exactly what you said. Because you put it on the table, I said, okay, fine. Now I know that we're ready to negotiate. <laughs> thanks for, thanks. I, I wasn't going to ask for it. I was going to pay full boat. I mean, I'm like for me, Funny thing is, I'm the I'm the easiest buyer you'll come across. You try to sell, I'm I'm a hard negotiator when it comes to trying to buy my like if you're trying to buy my stuff, but I'm right. a I'm a softball when it comes to buying your stuff. I'm I usually pay rate card. I mean, unless you're being a douche, I'm I'm paying pretty much full boat because I I have that, you know, in time I'm like ah that sales rep as long as they're trying, man. I want to make sure that they get That's their right. commission. That's right. But why so why offer me a discount when I didn't ask for it? But sorry, so, tangent. Uh, oh no problem. <laughs> it's a problem you and I talk. <laughs> I, I kind of have two questions that I want to go, but I'm, I'm going to head in, in. So I'm trying to choose which direction to go to. You put here, if you think about the whole process of going from being an average, you're going to be replaced by a robot, artificial intelligence, to an above average sales rep. You put a lot of the pressure, a lot of the onus on on the rep, which you know is important because you're responsible for your um, for your life. But what's the role of sales management? What's the role of the executive uh, yeah. team to build out the tools and the processes so that that 22-year-old can get up to speed, can sound uh, better, can be more knowledgeable, can provide insight? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's huge. I, I mean, like you said, I think it's all on all of us to own our own careers. That's why I love sales. You always hear about be your own CEO, treat your territory like a CEO type of thing. Um, but the without direct from your management and reinforcement and coaching, you know, it's really hard to expect anybody to be successful without getting at least some direction. And so I think it's our job or it's manager's job and executive to have a, to have a structure uh, and have it be from the top down. I mean, I wrote this, I wrote a post, uh, I think it was last week or the week before called the founder's dilemma about how, when an engineer starts a company, you know, they go talk to their, their, their close circle of friends with their idea. And because they're so passionate about transitioning that, or because they're so passionate about what they developed, their close circle of friends gives them very good feedback and might even buy it a couple of times. And so they get automatic validation. And then they think, oh, cool. Well, let me just hire a bunch of sales reps and plug them in and watch this thing go. And the sales reps inherently come in. There's not very much structure. They don't believe in the product nearly as much as the founder does because they didn't develop it. So they don't speak as passionately about it and they inevitably fail. And then the engineers, oh, well, sales reps suck. And now let me do inbound marketing and blah, 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 you know, that type of thing. So without that structure, without the top down support of sales, it's going to be really hard for a sales rep to be successful. 
You know, with a, like, I see so many engineering companies that just do not respect sales. And they, it, it's almost an afterthought or a necessary evil. And they don't really give them the tools to be successful. And inherently, those, you know, it's going to fall apart. And so I do think that the, there's got to be a bigger picture, um, top-down support structure for sales. Then there has to be, it doesn't have to be a specific methodology. It doesn't have to, but it has to be some sort of consistency with how the message is delivered, what the metrics are, you know, what you're measuring towards and alignment there. And then I think the most important part of any manager's job, frontline manager's job is just coaching. And it's the word, it's the thing that, that most managers don't do because most managers like sales reps, we get the least training. I mean, we are the least educated in our industry. So in our profession, right? I mean, there's only, I think there's still only about 15 or 20 sales schools where you can get your actual degree in sales here in the States. And so get in and we're like, hey, you know, cool, let me try this out because I didn't like my degree or whatever. And we get punched in the face 99 out of 100 times and, you know, got to keep coming back asking for more. And so we don't get very much training. But then the sales, most companies that promote their best sales reps to be managers, which usually is the absolute worst thing that you can do. Because those sales managers don't usually have a structure to, or I'm sorry, those top sales reps, they're usually the artists, the ones who just, they just know how to do it, right? They're just born with it, where they know how to ask the questions, they have perseverance, they work, they have a really strong work ethic, whatever. And for them to translate that to everybody else is very difficult because they, they couldn't, they can't explain to you the, you know, the, the details or the structure of how they got to where they are. So I'm, I always look for the kind of B plus A minus sales rep to be my sales manager because they usually can tell you how they got to where they are, what their deficiencies are, where they need help. It's kind of the whole, you know, you, the, the conscious, you, you start something and you're unconsciously incompetent, then you move to conscious incompetence, and then you move to consciously competent and then unconsciously competent. I want the consciously competent sales manager, the one who knows exactly why and can, and can, create that structure and process and coaching so that helping reps along the way. So I think to your question of what responsibility, it's a massive responsibility. The, ask any VC. One of the biggest reasons that most companies they invest in fail is because they couldn't figure out how to sell what their, what their product was. They could have the coolest technology, best, coolest thing ever, but if you can't sell it, it will not work. And so that structure that top-down stuff and the coaching is absolutely critical to the success of a sales rep who's developing. Because otherwise you throw them into the fire like you and I got thrown into the fire and you figure it out. And back, I don't know what the stats are now, but back when we were selling, like early on, you know, 2000-ish time frame, I mean, three out of four people that got into sales every single year got out because they just, they got wailed on and they couldn't figure it out. And that's a, that, that's a terrible thing for a business. If you look at you know, from an investment standpoint, if you're telling me that every three, four sales reps I hire within a year are going to leave, three of them are going to leave. I mean, talk about the time, you know, the time investment, the everything else. So if you don't have a structure, that's going to happen. If I remember the days when the, the whole point of hiring salespeople was you hired 10 to keep three. Exactly. Yeah, because that's the numbers. That's how they flushed out because it was, here's your territory. Good luck. But now we have a chance because of the, the structured model now of inbound, outbound closers, you can actually graduate a sales rep through that process right. and coach them on specific skills along the way. And then ultimately they become a much more well-rounded sales rep if you do it right. 
So I, I want to get your take on this. And it, this is your show today. I'm, I'm just the, uh, I'm just the host, but I get called in a lot. You know, this cause you've, you've actually referred me a couple of times to, you know, mm-hmm. someone who's saying we're not getting the results or people aren't doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. And so I go, okay, let me take a look at your buyer personas. Let me take a look at the messaging. Let me take a look at, you know, what are the key problems that you address, you know, all, all those different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like, oh, well, um, uh, 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 and, you know, there's a lot of complaining about the salespeople being lazy and about young people being lazy. And, yeah. and you know, my point is you can go out and hire a 50 year old. If you haven't explained to them who your personas are, what problems you solve, what the key message points are, how do you get a conversation started? What's the diagnostic protocol? Then you're just spitting in the wind. And yeah. I think that management is, is not doing their job. As well as what you said earlier, I just want to get your take on that. Couldn't agree more. I mean, there's, again, going back to the the founder's dilemma thing I was talking about, you just, oh, well, this is easy to sell. Go sell it. And limited resource. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and I see, you know, by the way, my background's marketing, but that's also where marketing fails, right? Because educate me as a sales. First of all, educate me on what, I always say that the number one thing you need to be successful in sales is a passion, like is a belief in what you do. Right, because if you do not believe in what you do, go find something else to do. So first of all, I think it's incumbent upon the the owner of the business and the executive team to have making sure that sales reps, when they, the before they even learn about product, they learn about why, it, like what value does this bring, what difference does it make, and get them to believe in the company. Right, it's that I think somebody told me once that sales is the transfer of enthusiasm, which I absolutely agree with and, and love. And so first it's about getting them to believe in the company, but then it's about giving them about, okay, well, who does this sell to? Like, what's the persona look like? I mean, my favorite thing, and this is something that if, you know, marketing and sales, if you're listening to this right now on this podcast, a euphoric state for me between the sales and marketing alignment would be to have marketing come in and do like a lunch and learn about a persona to say, look, here's like VP of sales in the SaaS industry. This is what this person cares about today. In 2016, these are the challenges of a VP of sales in the SaaS industry, blah, blah, blah. Now, based on that, here's a couple of questions that you, you know, well, here's a message that we're going to try to use. And I call them attention grabbers. Like literally when they pick up the phone, what do you say? Right. And then what are two or three questions you can ask relevant to a VP of sales in the SaaS industry? Because VPs of sales in the SaaS industry have different priorities than VPs of sales in the manufacturing industry. If I understand what those are, I can, you know, ask better questions. And then, oh, by the way, here's a case study that you can use to tell a story about that if you get this person on the phone. Do that little lunch and learn and then have reps go out there and actually make phone calls using that message, those questions, that story for like an hour. And then all of them, right? So like 10, 20, 30 reps at a time and keeping track, simple, like how many calls, how many meetings did they set up, right? And then aggregating that all and having marketing sit in on those calls so they can listen to what that messaging sounds like. And going back to your point of where managers are failing too, when was the last time you saw a manager in the bullpen with their reps making cold calls with the team? Yep. It rarely happens. I, I'll, and I'll pull on my own personal experience. When I sold my company to Staples and I joined Basho, the training company, I was, you know, I mean, I had just been a VP of sales. I sold my company, but now I'm just a little trainer. And we had a call blitz every Friday afternoon. And I remember vividly um, my manager, who I had not seen on the phones ever, right? He came in midway through the call blitz, and I was talking to the guy next to me. I was kind of farting around, whatever. I just did not want to do this call blitz. And he walks in, he's like, hey, Barrows, how many cold calls you make today? 
And, I, and a bad, you know, the Boston John came out, and I was like, I don't know, how many cold calls did you make today? Now, <laughs> arguably, now, arguably, that was a fireable offense, right? He should have actually probably fired me right there or at least made an example out of me because I said it in front of all the refs. So for those of you listening, don't do that, okay? But my point was is I had never seen him make a single fucking call. And so but he ended up dealing it, in my opinion, the wrong way. He kind of slinked into his office and got all mad and whatever, and three weeks later screamed at me. But I will say the week after, the next call blitz, he was in his office with his headset on making cold calls during that call blitz. And when I was listening in, when I tell you he was one of the better cold callers I've ever heard in my life, I was like, whoa, okay, that, all right, yep, he's doing it. And, woo, man, is he better than I am? I got I to gotta step on my game. So I immediately got on the phones because he was actually showing, like, lead by example stuff. So when was the last time that, you know, a manager actually sat on a call with you? And I don't mean just a ride-along call just listening in. I mean making a fucking phone call, right, and seeing them get their teeth kicked in and showing the reps, look, it doesn't – this isn't rocket science, and I'm not perfect either. I'm going to have a train wreck just as much as you. Let's get on the phone and have some fun with this. If that's not there, if that culture is not there – you get a bunch of reps sitting in their cubes, hitting, you know, you tell them to make 50 dials, they'll make 50 dials. They'll have a list of numbers that they call at the end of the day to make sure that their numbers are up. And they'll put their metrics in and they'll say, see you later at five o'clock as soon as that bell rings. Well, John, you'll be happy to know that I have two hours slotted on Wednesday where I'm going to be doing precisely that. I'm actually going to be working my call queue and going through so that, uh, you know, and, and you know, what's funny is it's not just the calling today and it's not just staying in and really hearing what's happening so that you can have that relevant conversation. It's also, I'm going off on another tangent here. You mm-hmm. have to get used to the technology. Totally. Right? Yeah. Cause, Cause your reps might be, you know, saying, I like this, I hate that. That's not working. And if yep. you haven't worked, you know, you made one call off the dialer, you know, every, yeah. every four hours you make a call and you go, it works for me. Um, yeah. You know, Getting getting that overall experience. Hey, oh, I, I totally, could talk I mean, to you I'm on, forever. Like, I'm on Snapchat. Like, I'll give you a quick example. Like, I'm on Snapchat right now. I'm 40 years old. I don't know what the hell I'm doing on Snapchat. But you know <laughs> why I'm on Snapchat is because my audience, you know, my core demographic, 22 to 28 year old kids, yep. that's the number one social channel around. So guess what? I got to figure out Snapchat, or else I'm going to be an old man here. Yep. Get off my lawn, like we said before we started. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> John, I could uh, I could talk to you forever. Um, Tell everybody how they can get more from you. You've got a kick-ass online portal. By the way, for the record, everyone, our SDR team uses John's training materials. It's a core part of their onboarding and ongoing process. Um, But why don't you tell everyone how they can get access to you and your various materials? And then I've got one last question for you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And it's just that. I mean, if you go to my website, jbarrows.com, J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com, You'll find on there, there's a resource library, which I give probably about 80% of what I do away for free. So you can go in there. There's videos. There's templates. There's all sorts of stuff that I talk about, tips, nuggets, ideas. Um, The 20% of it is premium content, and that's my online portal. And that has all my prospecting stuff, so email, phone, social selling, the whole package. Um, And you can get that as an individual now. I just rolled that out this year. Uh, It's the same training that Salesforce.com uses. It's the same training LinkedIn uses. You know, everybody at Salesforce goes through a two-week boot camp for the company and then gets access to my online portal, and, and that's how they get ramps. And for, the, for your group out here, I'll throw out the discount code if you want to use it. It's JB20, so J-B-T-W-E-N-T-Y. Put that in, you get 20% off of it. Um, 
And then if you want to just hit me up on Snapchat, it's John M. So J-O-H-N-M as in Michael Barrows, B-A-R-R-O-W-S, all one word, no spaces. I answer questions there. If kids snap questions about, hey, John, what about this, whatever, I immediately get back to them, and I love that engagement platform. And then obviously there's the Twitter and the LinkedIn stuff too, but I'm all about trying to help the overall profession of sales improve a little bit here. So anything I can do to help anybody out there get a little bit better, uh, I'm, I'm in. So any one of those channels, feel free to reach out to me. John, you got to change the pitch. You keep saying it's the same training that uh, SDRs at salesforce.com use. It's it's the same training that the SDRs at Imagine Business Development use. You're, you're right. Far you're right. more traction. It's far the more, exact far same more. training that Imagine it. <laughs> so <laughs> other leading companies outside of Imagine, like Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> you got Imagine, and then this other company, Salesforce. Exactly, exactly. All right, here's the last question. I want to know. I want to know what your thoughts are. What will Tom Brady be doing with his one month off? Tom Brady will be stewing and getting extraordinarily even more pissed off than he is and coming out on fire. I think he's going to call up Troy Brown. He's going to call up all his old cronies that he actually played with back in the day because he's not allowed to play with the new guys anymore during that break. And he's going to be sitting wherever it is, whatever practice facility, and he's just going to be throwing lasers at Roger Goodell's head so that when he comes out, I mean, my dream come true. I'm actually meeting Tom Brady coming up here at a um, at an event. I can't wait for it. It's August 30th. I'm going to be at it. So look for me on Snapchat and shit like that. But uh, I think he's going to come out, and I think his goal is to be able to win not only the regular season and the you know the the Super Bowl, but the MVP. So at the end of the year, Jackass Goodell has to come up and hand him a trophy, and Brady can sit there with just not even do anything and just look at him and say, "Yup." F you, you jackass. So that's what he's going to be doing. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, John. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All righty. With the exception of John's love of the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, to which I offer an apology to our marketing manager, I hope you enjoyed that interview every bit as much as I did. Uh, A couple key points to take out from it. Always be asking yourself, what are you doing today and what are you planning on doing tomorrow? So that you're doing something more than a computer, something more than Siri or Alexa is going to be able to do. Be sure that you're using technology, you're staying ahead of it, and forget all the buzz about social selling. Make sure you're actually using it to drive specific performance. Don't forget, you can check out the show notes, get more information about John, check out his portal. You can get that information at www dot imaginellc.com slash podcast look up episode 11 please feel free to email me any questions or ideas you have for future podcasts at doug at imaginellc.com and until next time here's to you enjoying your journey of growth <laughs>